1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we've been preaching a Sunday night series on what does the Bible say about? What does the Bible say about? And um, we've been dealing with topics that are not favorable, dealing with topics that are not uh, popular, and dealing with dealing with topics that ain't going to draw a crowd, just to be honest with you. And here recently in the series, we, we've dealt with a string of, of very unpopular topics. We dealt with what does the Bible say about adultery. And then we dealt with what does the Bible say about divorce and remarriage. And now tonight we're in that same line of thought of what does the Bible say about Purity. What does the Bible say about purity? Now, look across the crowd and you say, well, the majority of the crowd is a married crowd. Well, let me say purity is for the married crowd just as much as it's for the unmarried crowd. We all need to stay pure. But then I'd say this, the married crowd ought to pray for the unmarried crowd to remain pure until their wedding day. Then you look at the crowd of the little children in here who this will go completely over their head. And I say to that, as a parent of children with little kids in here, and not just because I'm the one preaching it, but I hope if I'm not preaching, and I hope to God I am, but if I'm not preaching, when my kids are teenagers and young adults, I hope somebody's got enough boldness and enough Bible about them and enough God about them to preach this kind of stuff to my kids when they get older. And so I'm going to preach it now. And I'll say this, this this is heavy because 10 years ago, God called us here. And then, of course, in the, in the sequent years there, the early years, I'd preach on things like this. And I had some folks that would really amen. Their kids were young. Now some of them, as their kids are older, are not even here anymore. And that is why. It's because I'm, I'm preaching the same thing I was preaching 10 years ago about it. But now... The kids are not 7, 8, 9, they're 17, 18, 19, and now the rules are supposed to change. But listen to me, I hope to God if he keeps me here another 10 years or another 100 years, I'm preaching this book just the way I am tonight. If anything, I get better at it, and if I get better at it, I'm going to preach it, preach it more plain. And I wish to God, I don't know that I'd listen to it. I don't know that I'd listen to it, but I wish to God as a teenager, I had a preacher that had preached to me like this. And uh, so I'm going to preach tonight on what does the Bible say about purity. Let's look at our Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse number 1. Furthermore, that means it got more to say. For the, furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, I can't say that right, even as the Gentiles which know not God. 
that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner matter because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us the Holy Spirit. Would you help us pray, and then we'll bring the message. Father, we love you, because you first loved us. God, we're thankful, 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 that you loved us enough to send your only begotten son to die on the cross for our sin, be buried and raised again the third day. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Lord, we would not be here tonight had it not been for the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Thank you for the Bible that told us about our need of a Savior, told us about the, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the gift of the Savior, and how to be saved. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord God, for a Bible. And I pray, God, you'd help us now as we look at the Bible on how to live after we're saved. Much of the Bible has to do with after we're saved. And very little of it's proclaimed in the hour that we're living in. I want to be a man of the book. and I want to be a people of the book here at the White Graves Baptist Church. So help us, please, to learn more about what your Bible says about this subject of purity and then apply it to our life where we need to. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Tonight, just like many of these Sunday night messages, I don't know how much preaching I'll be doing, but apt to, pre apt to, teach, li or apt to teach liable to preach. I don't know where we'll fall tonight, but I want to give you what the Bible says. See, I could have pulled a lot of statistics out. I'm going to give you at least one set of them, but I can pull a lot of statistics out. I can pull a lot of numbers out. I can pull a lot of things that I have studied through the years. I've worked with teenagers all these years, and I can give you a lot of good worldly secular reasons why you ought to remain pure, but I think what's better than that is the eter eternal Word of God has a lot more stock than statistics. And the Word of God is what we're all going to be judged by, if you say tonight, at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what we're dealing with tonight is very touchy subject. It's a very, very uh, unpopular subject. Some would say this is even an uncomfortable subject because anytime we deal with sins of a sexual nature, we kind of get uneasy about it. And but yet, but yet, Hollywood does not get uneasy about telling your kids what to do about it. Your government education does not get uneasy about teaching your children about it. And all of the social media platforms do not feel uneasy about bombarding these young people and you old people with this idea of what they claim is the, thing, the, the right way to look at sexuality. And there's, there, are, there are many things, listen, the media outlets, social media, I don't care if we're talking about Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube, and I can go down the list of other ones. They are all, they all have targeting ads and they are targeting young people and old people alike and they are trying to brainwash you in their theology about sexuality. Uh, their doctrine about sexuality. Now listen, there are there are there is what God says about the matter, and then there is what the world says about the matter, and they are two different things, by the way. God says this. 
God said, I created male and female. That's it. That's it. Male and whoever thought we'd have to emphasize that point in a church. Whoever thought we'd have to emphasize it in a Baptist church. But many of you are duped by this contemporary music crowd. And guess what happened in the Dove Awards the other day? There was a drag queen and, and, and there was a, um, two men dressed like women who claimed to be contemporary Christian artists show up at the Dove Awards the other day. You say, what's the Dove Awards? It's an award for contemporary Christian music. Now, I ain't, figured out, I ain't figured out one time why in the world we're having awards for Christian music anyway. I don't care if it's the National Quartet Convention with your Southern Gospel music, puke, gaga, maggot, or, or the Dove Awards for contemporary Christian music, puke, gaga, maggot. Yeah, man. It's preaching time. Hey, man, I guess I'm liable to preach. Hey, man. You say, what should they have done? Aren't we supposed to be loving? Yeah, we should have loved them enough to say, you claim to be saved? Get out of here. Because we're not letting no man dressed like a woman come up in here and mar the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. You say, what would you do? What would you do if they come down here to the White Graves Baptist Church? I'd meet them at the door because I hope some of you men's got sense enough to come tell me they're here. We're going to meet them at the door. I'm going to give them the gospel. If they reject the gospel, they're going home. If they get saved, they're going to get some different clothes on. You can like that lump at, jump at, bump at. There's other liberal places in Gordon County you can go that don't accept that mess. But my kids, my kids are worth more than that. Amen. These boys up here on this front row are worth more than that. Because they don't need no sodomites prancing around no dress in this church. Amen. Just like they don't need no women pramping around like some butch somewhere. Amen, friend. It's amazing to me in 2023, we're all up in arms about men dressing like women. But for 50 years, women been dressing like men. And ain't nobody going to say nothing about it. Well, you done come to the wrong place because I'm going to say something about it. Amen. Listen, listen, these kids are too important to me and the purity of this church is too important to me to make sure we stay right. Amen. And so back to where we're at. God said, I made man and woman, male and female. And I made them for each other to enjoy one another in an intimate level, but only, only in the confines of marriage. Hello now. God said, I made them. I'm, listen, he gave the rule of marriage before he even established everything else in creation. I mean, he, he was still, he had still, he had created everything, but he's still establishing. I mean, we're in the middle of the story about creation. We're hearing about how God did everything on day six. And he says that, and marriage is going to happen. Listen, Adam didn't have a mother and father to leave to marry Eve. And Eve didn't have a mother and father to leave to marry Adam. And God set up marriage right then. What about that? God set it up. For one man and one woman to be together and they are to be an intimate couple, an intimate couple, but only in the confines of marriage. Now, that's what God says. But the world says intimacy is not sacred. The world says intimacy is just natural. And it is a natural thing. And marriage is good and okay, but marriage is not a must 
And before you tie yourself down in marriage, you ought to go out and have some fun and do some experimentation. And, and before you commit to one person, go, go test drive a bunch of them. That's what the world says. And it's totally different what God says. It's a total opposite spectrum what God says. And it really comes down to this, who do you believe? And there ain't no in-between either. You either believe God or you believe the world. Yeah, ma'am. In a world full of confusion, we have got to state clearly God's will on this matter. We have got to make sure that our church stands for what God has said and make sure that the parents stand for what God has said and the parents do what they're supposed to do to make sure that we do everything we do to protect the purity of these young people. This is coming from the heart of a man who loves these young people. I've given my life for these young people. I've, I've sat, and I'm, I'm not saying that to look, to look like I'm some good guy. I'm a, I'm a worthless nobody. I'm saying I've given myself for these teenagers. I love them. But we've got to state what God's will is on this matter. And God's will is for everybody to save their bodies for their spouse after the vows have been made to each other. Watch this. And don't, that, the vows is not an engagement ring. Just because they get engaged does not permit them to put their hands on one another. The vows are there in front of those witnesses when they are made in holy matrimony. Then, then that intimacy can begin. Now listen, you may not have lived this. Your life may not have lived this. And thank God God could wink at ignorance if you didn't know no better. Hey, I'm glad for that. But listen, the Bible is right. And I wish to God somebody would have preached this to me. I don't know if I'd have listened. I don't know if I'd have listened. But I wish somebody had preached it to me. And if you didn't know this before you got married and you messed up before marriage, you ought to wish to God somebody had preached it to you. You ought to hope to God somebody keeps preaching to your kids. So, sexual intimacy is only for those who are in a marriage relationship. Now, listen to me. We use the word purity. We do not mean that, uh, that we're talking about something dirty or filthy because physical relationships are not dirty and filthy as long as it's in the bonds of marriage. God has created that for mankind to enjoy. Write this down in the margin of your Bible or notes or Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is honorable in all. Let me just say this. And shacking up and living together is dishonorable. We, we don't like talking like that no more because we live in this day and hour where people live together before they get married. That's not right with God. We call it shacking up, but the Bible calls it in-chambering. means you chamber together. Before marriage, it's against the will of God, it's against the word of God, and you ain't right with God. Yeah, man. Living together before marriage is, is a sin. It's still a sin. I'm still going to preach on it. I remember not long ago, years, a couple of years ago, several years ago now, I preached on this on a Sunday morning. I had a man call me that week, and he said, I got a problem. I got a bone to pick with you. I said, go ahead and pick it. I said, you won't be the first one, won't be the last. He said, uh, you preached against shacking up on Sunday. I said, yes, sir, sir did. And he said, uh, I felt like you were shooting at me. I said, are you shacking up? 
He said, well, yeah, you knew that. I said, no, I didn't. I thought you and her was married. I thought y'all's husband and wife. He said, oh, I thought you knew we shacking up. I thought you knew we were living together, not married. I said, no, sir, I didn't know that. But now that I do, I promise you I'll preach on it next time you're here. And I didn't just leave it at that. I said, do you want to know why I preached against it? He said, yeah, I'd like to. And I walked him through the Bible about fornication, about adultery, about in chamber and living together before you're married. And I said, sir, I said his name. I said, you're in sin. You're living in sin according to the word of God. I said, and I cannot, I promise you, I said this, I said, I promise you just because you walk in the door, I'm not going to mention it every time you come in the door. It's not a hobby horse. But I can promise you this, if it comes back up, I'm going to preach it again. I said, because it's wrong, you need to get it right. He said, well, I got this, I got this, I got this. I said, I, I asked you what you got, what you got, what you got. You need to get it right. I said, or you need to move out. Where is she going to go? I said, she got a mama that's got an extra bedroom in her house because I know where her mama lives. Amen now. Listen now. We can pull all the excuses out we want to pull, but right's right. And so, anyway, I ain't got that ain't even in the notes, but what I'm just trying to say is this. Marriage is honorable in all, and watch this, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So what I'm trying to make the point here is this, that God has created intimacy for the man and the wife, the husband and the wife to enjoy together after marriage. What is impure though is when that engagement, that intimacy engages between two parties that are not in the marriage covenant together. The Bible calls those people whoremongers and adulterers. You say, that's harsh. No, that's Bible. Well, I wouldn't see myself as one. It, that's your problem. You don't see yourself like God sees you. Well, I don't think they're that bad. That's your problem. You don't see it how God sees it. It's that bad. Now watch this. The Bible word for this sin is called fornication. It's called fornication. Now this word has a broad meaning, and it means any type of sexual sin and in many times it's associated with the sin specifically of adultery, but it really covers any of those, anything. So adultery, of course, is the sin, the sin of breaking marriage vows. Fornication would cover any, anything even if it doesn't have marriage vow involved. What, what do I mean by that? So adultery is specific to married people. Fornication broadens this thing out to anybody that commits any sexual sin outside the bonds of marriage. Okay? And so, I want to look at two things tonight. Two things. Number one, I want to address fornication from this verse, this, these verses tonight and another set of verses. And then I want to preach tonight on how to avoid it. There's one thing to call it out, but how do we avoid it? It's one thing to preach hard against it, but how do we avoid it in our lives? And this will help all of us if we'll let it. Number one, look at what it says in our verses that we read in verse number three. For this is the will of God. Fornication, impurity, immediately places you outside the will of God. I want to be in the will of God, then you cannot be involved in fornication. 
Impurity immediately takes you out of the will of God. Verse number 3 also says this, this uh, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Impurity hinders you being sanctified. You know what the word sanctified means? It means to be set apart. It's the same word as holy. And you cannot be set apart and be in sexual sin. You cannot be holy and involved in fornication. Number, verse number four says this, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification. Uh, number two, three here, it reveals a, a lack of self-control. Fornication shows that you have no self-control and you have no self-control. Discipline. God said you ought to be able to possess yourself. God does not do anything in your life that's going to make you lose control. What, what do I mean by that? It's all tongue flapping and jobbering on the floor and all this crazy mess right there. That's mysticism. That's not God. That's not the spirit of God. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. Because God's not the author of confusion. But watch this, even this independent Baptist charismatic junk we see. Amen. It's craziness. I lost control. I forgot where I was. That ain't God. That ain't God. Them feelings, me and Brother Morgan came by. Oh, wild Brother Morgan came by and got him a cup of coffee. He's preaching down at Caneland tonight. He come by and had some coffee with me early. We was talking about this thing. And he said, you know, if we don't careful, we'll get, we'll get filled. We'll, we'll, we'll base everything off of feelings. He said, and about seven, eight years ago, he said, me and my, my, my brother-in-laws and my daddy-in-law and all that, we went down to the Tennessee game down in Knoxville. He said, there's 100,000 people in that stadium. And he said, they's playing Rocky Top. He said, I'm not even a Tennessee fan. He said, but every time they played Rocky Top, the hair on my neck stood up. He said, I started getting all kinds of feelings. He said, and I realized some of that same feelings was the same feelings I get in some church services. Now, you can be spiritual or not. Now, I hate Rocky Top, Miss Sue. I hate it. It don't make me feel no kind of way but want to puke. Amen? <laughs> Gag a maggot. Amen? I hate orange. Amen? Anyway, but he said that. I thought, well, I'll pray for you. But then he, then he said this. He said, he said, he said I, I, I was in that, in that same stadium. They, they play uh, country roads, leave me home. And he said, I had the same feeling that I have in church service. Tonight. He said, you know what I realized? That feeling is flesh. It don't matter if it's in the church or if it's in the kneeling stadium. It's flesh. You say, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say God wants you to have self-control. God wants you to have self-discipline. You say, well, I can't handle this stuff. I can't control myself. You got, got, that's not God. God will help you control yourself. And you, and if you're involved in fornication, it shows, it reveals you have no self-control. Number, number four, look at verse four. It says this, that possessing your vessel in sanctification and honor. It reveals a lack of honor and integrity when you're involved in fornication. You are not honorable. You are not being honored. They are not honoring you and you are not honoring them, the other party. It is dishonorable for you to be involved and you have no integrity. You know what integrity is, don't you? Doing right when nobody's looking. That's why you're always trying to sneak off in the dark. That's why you're always trying to sneak off from the group. 
That's why you hide your phone in your bedroom. That's why you sneak somebody else's phone. That's why you sneak up on the internet when you ain't supposed to be. I, I, you say, who are you talking to? Anybody listening? Amen. Hey, listen, that's what we do it in the dark. We try to hide because we don't have any integrity. That's what he says. This fornication business is a shows a, it reveals a lack of honor and integrity. Verse number five, look what it says this. Look what it, verse five says. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. He says this, when you're involved in fornication, you are acting like a pagan. You are doing an act of godlessness. Fornication is what the ungodly do. It's what those that don't know God do. It's what the pagans do. God's people don't do that. God's children are not rolling around filth in filth and muck and mire. God's kids want to be pure. Verse number six, what it says. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Here's what it says. That fornication is a sin against other people. That word defraud means you are preventing someone wrongfully from attaining what he may justly claim. What's that got to do with this context? Of, and we're in the context here of the scriptures. What does that mean? You're, if you take away somebody's purity or you give away your purity, you are preventing that future spouse from receiving something that belongs to him or her. Young man, you give your purity away, you give your purity away, then you are robbing from your future spouse of having that purity. Young lady, you give your purity away, you are robbing your future spouse from having that purity that you have. You're defrauding them. And then, not only that, but every father should have the privilege of giving a pure bride away to her husband on the wedding day. See, that young lady belongs to that daddy until he gives her away. That's the whole reason behind that part of the ceremony. It's showing that now she is going out from under daddy's headship and now she's going under the headship of her husband. And that girl, that little girl, that daddy ought to be able to present a pure bride to that man. You're defrauding your brother when you give your purity away. Or when you take somebody else's purity. See, fornication is taking or giving away something that doesn't belong to you. Number, verse number six also says this, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such. It says this, when you commit fornication, you're inviting the judgment of God into your life. You are inviting the judgment of God in your life when you commit fornication. There's all kinds of different judgments we could talk about right there. I promise you the SD, STD epidemic that's in our country, it is, not, it is not the lack of cleanliness or hygiene or, uh, or lack of medicine, medical research. It is the judgment of God in this country. Amen. AIDS, HIV, herpes, I can go down the list. That is the judgment of God on fornication. I'll say this, I'll say this, the barren womb a lot of times is a judgment of God on fornication. 
God, God, I'm not, and this is what I was preached on last night. Just because there's something wrong don't always mean it's got to do with that. But I'm telling you, most of it, a lot of it does. The judgment of God. I tell you what, verse number six also says, as we also have forewarned you and testified. Here it is. Fornication is an insult to those who warned and instructed you. It's an insult to those who have warned you and instructed you in righteousness, who try to say, hey, hey, red flag, red flag, red flag. It's an insult to those who warned you. Look at verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. It goes against God's calling on your life. God's got a calling for every one of you in this room. Every one of us in this room. When you mess with something that's not yours to be messing with, you are going against the calling of God on your life. Verse number 8. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man but God. Here it is. It goes against, it goes against God's calling, but it shows how little you think of the person you're committing it with. You despise that person. That person despises you. Not only do you despise that person, you think little about that person, but you really, it shows what you really think about God. You despise God. See, and if you get mad at this preacher and don't like this kind of preacher, it ain't about me. It ain't about the preacher. You're not liking the preacher. You don't like God. It's about what God has said. You don't like how God, well, I just don't like how you're saying. No, you don't like what I'm saying. You ain't got no problem with how I'm saying it. You got a problem with what I'm saying. Because if I was using this same voice and excitement about the gospel, you'd be happy about it. You ain't got to like it, but I didn't write it. This ain't, this ain't my book. This is God's book. I'm just preaching it. It shows how little you think of God. And then look what it says in verse number 8 at the very end. Who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. It's a sin against the gift of the Spirit. It is a sin against the gift of the Spirit. God, I don't, I'm talking about God has given you gifts. And he's called you to use those gifts for your honor and glo- his honor and glory. He's given his gift of himself. And it goes against a sin against the gift of the Spirit when we commit fornication. Now, take your Bible for, real quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Let's look at a couple more things about this. We're looking at the maybe the definition of it. We're looking at what does God say about fornication, addressing it, the defining it, before we get to avoiding it. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13 through 20, we just are carrying on from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's the same context. Again, I'll dig up into, I want to dig all up into the background here, but remember the church at Corinth is dealing with someone who is committing fornication, adultery. They are, he is dealing with a church that has, has gotten some sexual sin involved in the church, and he's showing them how they're supposed to deal with it. The church is supposed to deal with it. I believe that is the problem in the society we're in. We, uh, we've, got, we've got folks that grew up in church that never dealt with sexual sin. And so when somebody gets involved in it, they either leave or the church just lets them keep singing on the platform or lets them keep teaching Sunday school, lets them keep preaching in the pulpit, just lets them keep going on even though they, everybody knows they're a whoremonger and an adulterer. Everybody just lets them keep on rolling on. God help us. So what does it do? Verse number 13 of chapter 6 says this, meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord 
and the Lord for the body. When you commit fornication, it robs the Lord of your body. When you commit fornication, which is outside the bonds of marriage, you are giving your body over to someone that's not the Lord, and it's not the Lord's will. You say, oh, but preacher, I know this is the Lord's will for me to be married. Nope, you don't. You don't. Not until you're married. I don't care what you think about this. Really, I don't. And I'm not being ugly about this. But you know when I found out that young lady right there was the perfect will of God for my life? At about 4.30 p.m. on September 4, 2010 in Villarica, Georgia, when Uncle Russ said, you may now kiss the bride. I said, well, she's the perfect will of God for my life now. Now, that may make you feel funny. That don't bother me whatsoever. Because listen, we was engaged for 13 months. And I'll be honest with you, if I'd have got her right with God before that, I'd have married her in three months, buddy. I liked her. Amen. I put a ring on her quick. We was engaged for 13 months. You say, well, you didn't know it was perfect with God for 13 months? No, anything could have happened. Right? Anything could have happened. If I'd have said that, how foolish would I have been? I know that's the perfect will of God, 100%. She's the one I'm supposed to marry. And then I die. That means she's supposed to stay unmarried the rest of her life? See how stupid some of that stuff sounds when we start, we think about it a little bit, we put a little brain to it? What happens if she died? Then I got to stay unmarried the rest of my life? I wouldn't have survived. I'm telling you, I wouldn't. I need, I need, I went, hey, listen, I went from my mama taking care of me to my wife taking care of me. I wouldn't survive without somebody taking care of me. And mama's going ready to kick me out, buddy. <laughs> She's done taking care of me. You grown, boy. <laughs> and so, I, but here's what I'm saying. You don't know until you're married. That's the perfect will of God for your life. Now watch this. Some of you that's married, you might think, well, I just don't know if we're in the perfect will of God. You're in the perfect will of God to stay married. Amen. How do I know that it's right? You're married. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> Too bad, you stop now. <laughs> Amen. Well, praise the Lord. All right, verse number 15 and 16. That, that fornication creates an unholy union. Look what it says in verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For the two, saith he, shall be one flesh. He says this, and this is what he's saying here. You're creating an unholy union when you do these things outside of the bonds of marriage. There will always be a part of you connected to those who you engage with. There's an unholy union. Number 18, verse number 18 says this. Flee fornication, we'll come back there in just a minute. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. This sin of fornication is a sin against your own body. You're sinning, it's the only one we find in the Bible that's a sin against the body. There can be physical consequences to this sin, but there's always emotional and mental consequences to this sin every single time. And then verses 19 through 20 tells us it is a bad stewardship of what belongs to God. Verse 19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not of your own? You are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. And so it says that you are being a bad steward of what belongs to God. You don't own yourself. 
God's got a right to tell you what to do with you. Because you don't own you. He does. Now here's the thing. Even the secular world knows, understands that a physical relationship before marriage has an impact on your life. This is from, from a wellness.com. This, this is a medical uh, research. It says this, researchers found that those who wait until marriage compared to those who don't report a significantly higher relationship satisfaction, 20% more. Uh, 12% say that they have, 12% more say they have better communication patterns. Uh, 20, only, only 22% of them consider divorce. There's a less consideration for divorce and a better intimacy quality, over 15% better when they wait until marriage. So I, I could go up and look at a bunch of more stats on here, but the stats don't hold up to what the Word of God says. The Bible's right. Whether the stats match or not, the Bible's right. The stats do match. Now, here's, the, here's where. Let me just say this, and then we'll go to avoiding it. Temporary pleasure is not worth the long-term effects. Temporary, temporary pleasure is not worth the long-term effects. So, now, we acknowledge that it's sin. We acknowledge that it's wrong. But just acknowledging it it does not, just acknowledging it, see it, doesn't put measures in to prevent it from happening. Okay? Just saying it's a sin does not place boundaries in our life. And so, if, if, if you're not willing to put those measures in your life, then you're not serious about holiness. And you're not serious about having joy in your life. So real quickly, I've got three things real quick and I'm done. Number one is the restrictions we need to place. You're in 1 Corinthians 6. Look at verse, 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7, 1. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote of me. Now what they wrote of him was about that, that fornicator that's in their church. How do I deal with him? It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Is that what your Bible says? Is that what your Bible says? Can we all look at that together, please? It is good for a man not to touch a woman. What about that? You say, would that include holding hands? It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Would that mean hugging and kissing? It is good for a man not to touch a woman. I remember preaching this talking about this to some young people and to, to some parents one time, and they said, well, I just don't know if that's in context. Maybe you're just taking a verse and twisting it out of context. I said, well, good thing the Bible is the Bible, and we can read the next verse. Look at the verse next behind it, the very next verse says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication. So, what's he talking about here? He's talking about an unmarried man and an unmarried woman ought not be touching on one another. Any shape or form or fashion. And I'm preaching it in 2023. I was preaching it in 2013. And God help me, I'll preach it in 2033, 43, 53, and 30, and 333, whenever God comes by, whenever God gets me off this, I hope I'm still preaching it because it's still right. When your kids are four, when they're 14, and when they're 24, 
and still right. That means that a man that ain't married to a woman ought not be touching on that woman. Now, I got free game to touch my woman, my, my woman, my wife, as much as I want to. She's got free game to touch me as much as she wants to. But you ain't got no, no right whatsoever. You got a right to die if you want to, touching my wife. Yeah, man. And you ain't got no right in touching on me. Amen. That's right. Why? To avoid fornication. Watch this, because God knows this. You can't fornicate if you ain't touching. Amen. So he says this, don't be touching on each other. So here's what you've got to do, young person, and here's what you've got to do, parents. Listen, you need to put some boundaries in your life when it comes to physical contact. You've got to put boundaries on your life for late-night conversations. Nothing good happens in late-night conversations. Hello, Tokyo. Everybody listening? Not one thing, nothing happens good in late-night conversations. Watch this. You need to put some boundaries up for unaccountable conversations. What do I mean by that? Conversations you're trying to hide from people. Conversations you're trying to hide from your parents. I don't know much about this, so I'm about to get off into something I don't know a whole lot about. But what I do know about it, I believe it's wicked and ungodly, and I believe it almost is a sin to have it on your phone. It's Snapchat. From what I studied about eight years ago about that Snapchat when it came out, it's created for a bunch of, bunch of wicked people to have affairs on their husbands and wives. And I just got to wonder, why in the world do you want anything on your phone that's going to disappear from anybody to be able to see? It's because you're wicked, ungodly, hiding stuff's what it is. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I'm telling you, friend, I wouldn't have an internet device that wasn't accountable. That tablet right there I'm reading my notes off of today, it's hooked up into my accountability software. My laptop I've got in my bag back there, it's hooked up to my accountability software. My desktop's hooked up to it. My cell phone's hooked up to it. Hey, listen, I wouldn't have internet that wasn't accountable. So why? You don't trust yourself? No, I'm smarter than that. Not only do I not trust myself, I don't trust other people. Sending me stuff out not be sending me. Yeah, man. I don't trust it. Now, I'll be honest with you, it makes it real hard sometimes to sneak around my wife to buy her gifts and Christmas. Thank God for a good sister-in-law. Amen. <laughs> Help me out with that. Amen. I sometimes I wonder, how am I going to send a message for her not be able to see this thing? How am I going to be able to get, like, buy her gift? But watch it. I'd rather be that way. Be hiding my life from my wife. Hiding your life from your husband. Young people hiding your life from your parents. How would to God my kid come up in me and tell me I couldn't put all kinds of boundaries on their devices? I would to God some kid tell me that. And don't you dare, not one of you kids come up to me, my parents invade my privacy. You don't need no privacy. Amen. I wouldn't let my kids behind the closed door with internet access. I wouldn't let my, I don't care if they go into the bathroom, the bedroom, I don't care where they're at. They wouldn't be behind no closed door. And I would say this. I wouldn't let my kids with internet access after a certain time at night. You better put some boundaries up, friend. You better put some boundaries up. I'd pay money. If I was going to let them have the thing, I'd have a lot. I'd, I'd invest some money in making sure they had some accountability software. Yeah, man. 
And I'd make sure you was checking it all the time. And I'm going to just say this, and you can like this, lump this, what you want to, but you just ever now and then picking that phone up and scrolling through it is not accountability. That's stupid. I'm just, you say, well, you just call me stupid. Well, then get smart, because that is dumb. Them kids can hide stuff from you. They know how to do it. Better than you do. You don't even have to hardly send a text message. You think they can't hide that stuff from you? They told you, they showed you how to work your phone. <laughs> you better have some accountability on that thing. I'm telling you, it's, a, it's, a, it's dangerous out there. And it's a different world than any of us lived in. I'm telling tell you what, I, I was coming up, I was coming up in my teenage years of the days of chat rooms and, and, and being able to internet access people from across, of course it was that AOL dial-up, we got the CD from the Walmart going out the door. Y'all remember them days? But still, that's, it was starting up then. And there's a lot, whole lot of trouble we got into on it. Can't imagine. Can't imagine what all of them's getting. Matter of fact, I read a book a couple weeks ago on Satan's devices. I'll probably be preaching some series on this. About Satan's devices. You read that book, Brother Kevin? Satan's devices. 27% of young people are having inappropriate text messages sent to them. And 15% of them are sending them out. That's one in four. One in four. 27%, that's a little over. One in four, every one, every, every one, at one out of every four kids is receiving them. 15%, one in, one in six, out of, one out of every six is sending them out. You don't think we don't have a problem? You don't think we ought not be preaching on this stuff? Restrictions. Better put a, put a boundary up about being alone with somebody that's not your spouse. Better be careful about entertainment that stirs up feelings that are forbidden to act upon. That's why I'm against secular music. You ain't got no business listening to old Billy Ray Cyrus sing about her, his wife. I don't even know if he sings anymore. I don't know who the new guy is. I really don't care who the new guy is. <laughs> I'll tell you how old I am. I hear some of these names. I'm like, are these baseball players or country singers? I don't know who they are. But I ain't got no business listening to them guys think about their wife because that ain't my wife. Huh? I don't have no, you ain't got no business, ma'am, hearing her sing about her husband because that ain't your husband. And you fantasizing about somebody else's husband. That's why y'all not watching. Is soap operas even a thing? If they are, I ought to preach on that tonight. Amen. Bunch of these Hallmark movies. Amen. Woo! Preaching that. It's about Christmas time. Come on now. But watch this. We better be careful about entertainment that rouses up feelings that are forbidden to act upon. Better be careful. Here's what the Bible says. Verse number 18, chapter 6, verse 18. Look what that first word says, flee fornication. Notice it doesn't say fight it. It says flee from it. Flee from it. Y'all know what flee means, don't you? Run! 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 So Jeremiah, that pretty little girl, comes up and wants to give you a little hug. What you need to do? Run! Then what are you doing sitting here for? Because I'm not a pretty little girl, he said. (laughs) 
I'm an ugly fat man. Run! You know what I believe y'all do? He said, she'll think I'm crazy. They already know, Jeremiah. They already know. Hey, listen, I'd rather them think I'm crazy than have an unholy union and ruin my life and ruin her life. You say, you, you just go too far, preacher. Well, I'm just preaching the Bible. It says flee fornication. Here's the thing. No, make no provisions for your flesh. Number two. Number one, restrictions. Number two, replacement. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Y'all have heard me preach this for years. You can't just take stuff out. You got to put right stuff in. Y'all have heard me preach it for years. You can't just take bad stuff out of your life. You got to put good stuff in. So look what the Bible says. Second Timothy. Take good. I'm almost done. I promise. Ooh, it's like Second Timothy. I promise I'm almost done. I ain't been preaching that long, have I? How long? 48. I'm almost done. I'll get done within an hour. I'm almost done. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. You remember that? 2, 2, 2, 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Y'all looking at it? Here's that word again. I, I'll be honest with you. I'd, I'd like you to, every time you see that word, think about, <laughs> run away. Flee. Run. Also, youthful lust. But here it is. Here it is. Here it is. We're talking about taking stuff, stuff out. But, but, here's what can I put in? Oh, this Christian life is such a killjoy. Oh, this Christian life is such a bummer. Oh, this Christian life is, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. No, it's not. And you can't focus on the I can'ts, because if you focus on the I can'ts, you're gonna, you will. You're going to break the rules. So what you've got to do is take stuff out and put the right stuff in. Look what he says to put in. But follow... Righteousness, faith, charity, peace. Real quickly, I'm going to finish that. We're going to come back to that verse. Here, here, here what it says. As I'm running away, I'm running to, I'm running away from fornication. I'm running to righteousness. I'm running to peace. You ain't got, listen, you, you live in fornication, you ain't got no peace. You sneaking around on your phones and your internet. Listen, I'm talking about married people and unmarried people. You sneak around on your phones or the internet or television shows or movies or books or novels or whatever else you're doing. You sneaking around. You ain't got no peace. You can fake it all you want to, but you ain't got no peace. You don't have no righteousness, charity. You ain't got no love. Listen now. And he says, so this. So you got to put that stuff, but, but, but watch what the next word says. So it says righteousness. It says righteousness, faith, charity, peace. Look what the next two words are. Everybody say them out loud with me. With them. Y'all see that? Y'all see that? With them. What's that talking about? You need to find the right crowd to be around. You've got to find the right people to be around. You've got to replace the bad with the good. You've got to surround yourself with people that are chasing righteousness. Surround yourself with people that are chasing faith, that are chasing charity, that are chasing peace. You've got to replace the bad with the good. You just can't take everything out and leave a void. Because you know what's going to happen when you do that, don't you? There's going to be seven more devils crawling in that void to fill your life. 
That's why when you take that wicked, ungodly music out, you got to put godly music in. When you, when you take that ungodly entertainment out, you got to put right kind of entertainment in. And when you take those wrong kind of influences out of your life, whether it be friends, families, or, or followers, or whatever else, you take them out, you got to put some right people in your life. Replacement, restrictions, number two. Last, I'm done. Renewal. Y'all know these verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, I'm begging you. I'm begging. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, if you think about the mercy God has shown you, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, and it is, by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here's the key to keeping a holy body is by keeping a renewed mind. You've got to think about, I said this on Wednesday night, but until you get a hold of the body that Jesus gave to you on Calvary, when he, when he gave his back to the smiters, gave his beard to those that plucked it off, gave his side to the spear, gave his hands and feet to the nails, gave his head to the crown, until you get a hold of that, that's ultimate sacrifice, you'll never give your body a living sacrifice. So as you think about what, Cal, what Christ did at Calvary, you keep your mind clean, you keep your mind on holy things, it'll keep your body holy. See, you've got, to, you've got to renew your mind to agree with God's position on this matter or you're going to conform to the world's doctrine. Y'all remember what that was, don't you? The world's doctrine says intimacy, a marriage is whatever. Intimacy is this part of nature. It has nothing to do with godliness. See, purity is not a priority in life to the, to, to the world. And so our challenge to us tonight is, Brother Tim, if you come play softly. The challenge tonight is this. If you're unmarried in this room, to make purity a priority. If it's not a priority in your life, you are not going to be able to withstand temptation and all the trouble that comes with it. Commit your body to Christ. And to the married I would say, though this has been more about fornication outside the bonds of marriage, may I just say to you, as I preached just a few weeks ago about adultery, make sure you keep your home pure. You keep yourself pure, your mind pure. And pray for these people. Pray for these young people. Pray for these unmarried people. The world will sell you a bag full of goods and try to think, make you think it's all right. But it's wicked. It's ungodly. It's unholy. It's unhealthy. Can God draw a straight line with a crooked, crooked stick? Sure he can, but I wouldn't chance it up for that. I wouldn't say, well, you know, God's got grace and mercy, so if I go and mess up, he'll give me grace and mercy. You know what? You, you sin out of ignorance, not knowing no better. God may do that. He may wink at it. But you sin, sin out of rebellion, he may snuff you out of this world real quick. You sin in rebellion to the preached word of God, 
and you go on and do, keep doing what you're doing, God will snuff you out of here or he'll make your life miserable, buddy. Chastisement of God's real. Chastisement of God's real because he loves you. But here's the thing. I want to make sure I say this again. Don't just take stuff out. Make sure you're putting the right stuff in. So tonight, let's all stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I told you I'd quit. What does the Bible say about purity? What does the Bible say about purity? Married folks, pray for your marriage. Pray for God to strengthen your marriage. Pray for God to protect your marriage. And pray for God to give you sense to protect your marriage. The things you have to do. Hey, some things you're going to have to do. Parents, pray for these kids. Pray for God to put a hedge of protection around them. Then pray for God to give you sense to put hedges around them. Take away the privacy. Whatever you got to do. And kids, you ought to pray God will use your life. God don't want no unclean vessel. But he'll clean you up. And, and let me just say this. If you got this sin in your life, you can get right tonight, thank God. You can confess it, get it right with God tonight, and go on with the glory of God. Get clean before God tonight. <clears throat> you do business with God tonight.